0: G'day. We hope you're enjoying our podcast. Producing a podcast is costly, both time and money. If you'd like to show your support and offer a one-off payment, even the price of a coffee or a beer, that'd be greatly appreciated and would go a long way to support us. If you'd like to leave a donation, head to the show notes of this episode and click on the ACAST supporter link. Be sure to leave your message of support too. Thanks again.
1: I'm on my way to Alison's house where I'm supposed to be picking her up for a very important and possibly very traumatic meeting. It's about a 25-minute drive from my house in Gympie and there's about four different routes I can take to get to her place. Naturally, I choose the quickest, but about 10 minutes into the drive, I get a text. I'm running late. There's no hurry, Tom. As all good people who have a healthy respect for the law have... I'd pulled over to read the message. I was on the edge of town. The road I was on was dirt. It was straight. I had clear vision for about 200 meters in front of me. The sun was setting over the mountains to the west, as our sun tends to do, and it was casting a really strange red glow. It had been raining that day, and the sunlight that was filtering through the clouds was not eerie, just unusual. As I looked up from my phone, a single orange butterfly landed on my windscreen. I stared at it for about 10 seconds, and it was kind of staring back. For a second, I felt like I was in some weird Alice in Wonderland type situation. I also wondered if someone had spiked my coffee. But then my mind shifted. An image of a colourful, intricately drawn tattoo came into my mind's eye. It had two dates and four stars and was etched into the skin of the woman I was about to meet. I put my car into gear, took my foot off the brake, and started rolling. The orange butterfly was still on my windscreen. It didn't leave me until I had 27 kilometres to go to Allison's house. I remembered Kira McLaughlin was 27 when she died.
0: This podcast contains coarse language, adult themes, and distressing content. Listener discretion is advised. On Thursday the 17th of July 2014, police were called to Beanham Valley Road Wolveye, where Kira McLaughlin, a 27-year-old mother of four, had suffered serious head injuries. Kira was taken by ambulance to Gympie Hospital, but was later transferred to the Gold Coast University Hospital by helicopter. Tragically, Kira was pronounced dead the following day. Several people have been interviewed by police, however, no one has been charged for her death.
1: I don't, I don't know, man. I don't know. I'm, I'm a bit confused because when I was at the house, there was blood everywhere.
2: You know, now that I'm reminded of it, it is an unsolved murder. And uh, I think a lot of people have uh, forgotten about it. And It seems like there were a lot of people present, but no one knows what happened.
1: When we turned up, it was literally the middle of the night. might have been about... One thirty, two o'clock in the morning, it was, I remember it was freezing cold. We were searching the back of the property that was like two and a half acres all night.
2: But I do, I do remember, um, you know, there were a number of people present at the house. The police couldn't get anyone to say who did it. Uh, you've got an unsolved murder, why wouldn't you have an inquest?
1: I think we're going to have to talk to her mum.
3: He was rather physical and we were trying to get her to leave him, but he's beaten her so badly, then waited a day to call the ambulance.
0: A 610 Media production. This is Beanham Valley Road. The Kira McLaughlin story. I've got a piece of Hi guys, welcome back to the show. I'm Jamie Pultz and together with Tom Dawn, this is Beanham Valley Road. Episode 2. Allison Part 2. The investigation starts. So much has happened since we spoke, and if truth be told, we are still trying to catch up. In the last two weeks, we have come across literally hundreds of pages of documentation, paper evidence, albeit circumstantial, of what we suspected at the time of Kira's death. We have been provided medical reports, autopsy reports and statements. The situation we now find ourselves in is like a double-edged sword. On one side, we know we are closing in on something huge. And on the other, we feel like there have been even more questions posed. Ones that we didn't for the life of us think were coming. In this episode, we talk again with Kira's mum, Allison, and we uncover some breakthrough evidence.
1: If you remember back to episode one, we left you with a number of unanswered questions. One of those was the name of Kira's partner at the time of her death. For the purposes of this investigation, and in an attempt to protect the identity of his children, family, and maintain his presumption of innocence, we're gonna call him Jason. We have since discovered that Jason is in jail for a number of violent offenses, and as you will find out in more detail later, he has an abhorrent history of violent behavior, usually directed at women.
0: Alison. Yes. It's Jamie. Do you know where it is right now?
3: No. I'm told Southport, but that was all I was told. Do you? I do. Where? He's in jail. In jail?
0: Yep. Are you kidding me? Apparently he's in jail and he has been since last, late last year for something he did to another girlfriend.
3: That's awesome. Because that's been, you know, my main worry, that, that the pattern would continue with other people and it needed to be put away.
0: To this day, Alison struggles to even say Jason's name. And as you will hear in a minute, she refers to him as it... We want you to keep in mind while you're listening to this podcast that no one, I mean no one, has been charged for Kira McLaughlin's death. There's yet to be a coronial well, inquest. Well, we didn't...
3: We weren't able to have the funeral until the 12th of August because of all the different coroner things and stuff. So then I had to start planning a funeral and design the pamphlets and I had to get the music organised and... Um, there was all this legal stuff that had to be done. My sister was handling most of that because I wasn't... I just wasn't functional, really. I wasn't functional for a very long time. Um,
0: you couldn't even speak?
3: No, I, I, I couldn't. Like, If you go back through my Facebook at the time, you'll see I never wrote a comment. I might put a couple of crosses... ...on someone's comment and that would be it. Like, I just didn't.
0: In the last couple of days, Tom and I have pulled over hundreds of pages of documents. One of which was Kira's autopsy report. And without sounding morbid, it is interesting to say the least. Before this documentation was released, hearsay evidence suggested that Jason had told emergency services that Kira had taken an overdose of antidepressants the night before she died. As you will come to see, this is not supported by the autopsy report... Something with Jason's story wasn't adding up. What the autopsy report does show is that Kira suffered massive head injuries. And in fact, she had 105 individual bruises on her body, from her head to her ankles. Some measured up to 12 centimetres long. One glaring question that you are maybe wanting to ask is what happened beforehand and how did it get to this point on a cold night in July 2014? A popular narrative we have heard from different sources was that there was a party or a gathering going on at the Beanham Valley Road property. The origin of this version is a little murky, but Alison categorically denies it. She said Kira was speaking to her ex-husband and the kids on the phone. The issue with this story and the reason why we believe that no-one has been charged is because of what happens next, or rather, the lack of evidence over what is claimed to have happened next. This is what Alison told us.
3: I think... Amongst other things, she was swung around the room by her feet with her head hitting the wall where the red paint was lodged in the back of her hair and smearing the wall all over the place. Um, I believe that same can of paint was probably thrown at the back of her head because she had tiny flecks of it all over her body, But, but this large clump in the back of her hair, like a can of paint, had been thrown at the back of her head and landed there. So, yeah, amongst other things. And the nameless witness also said that he saw her, saw the boyfriend chasing Kira up the stairs after that particular argument, slapping her upside the head like this. And then when I saw the CAT scan with the doctor, because she realised I had medical background, so she went through it with me and... The entire thing was blank. She said it was like taken baby syndrome where there wasn't one living brain cell
0: left. Okay, so you heard Allison say there was a nameless witness who actually saw Jason hitting Kira as she was walking up the stairs. Something else you need to know is that Alison also told us there were several phone calls between Kira and her ex-husband that night. Kira called to speak to her kids, two of which have hearing impairments. So they speak to their mother on loudspeaker. And this is why Alison overheard the conversation. She said by what she heard, there was no party going on. There was no music or anything. Kira sounded sad, but not drunk. Alison also said on one phone call, Kira got really upset, vicious and hung up. Like something had interrupted her. Now we're going to delve into that later. The times and everything.
1: When Queensland police attend a suspicious death, they're required to fill in a number of documents. One of those is called the Form 1. This is a document that is submitted to the coroner. The following is Kira's Form 1, and we have legally obtained it. The deceased was a 27 year old woman with a past history of hepatitis C and depression. On the evening of the 16th of July 2014, at a family gathering, there was an alleged physical altercation between the deceased. She allegedly struck her head, causing her to fall to the ground a number of times. It was thought that during the altercation, the deceased hit her head on a wardrobe or cupboard, and around this time she had thrown red paint around the dwelling, which landed on herself and others. Subsequently, the other family members left, leaving only the deceased and her partner. It was alleged that the deceased told her partner that she had ingested a large amount of medication. They went to bed, and when the partner woke at 1.30pm, On the 17th of July 2014, he found that she had urinated in the bed. He got her out of bed, showered her, and laid her on a mattress in the lounge room. He subsequently phoned for medical help resulting in Queensland Ambulance Service attending and transporting her to Gympie Hospital. She was subsequently transferred from Gympie Hospital to the Gold Coast University Hospital with a diagnosis of head injury. On arrival at the Gold Coast University Hospital, she was declared brain dead, and on the morning of the 19th of July, 2014, she was subject to an organ harvest procedure. The form one continues. The following is the history from the medical records of Gympie Hospital. Kira Lee was taken to the Gympie Hospital on the 17th of July, 2014. A history was given that she had taken a large number of antidepressant tablets and alcohol on the previous evening. There was also a history that she had been assaulted with punching to the face, causing her to fall backwards. She was allegedly able to walk around afterwards and was not vomiting. Her partner found her at one 30 p.m. on the 17th of July 2014 in bed with urinary incontinence and unable to be woken. Upon arrival of the ambulance at her residence at 2.35 p.m. on the 17th of July 2014, she had a regular heart rate at 79 beats per minute with normal blood pressure and spontaneous respiration. She did, however, have a Glasgow Coma score of 6. This deteriorated to 3 before arrival at Gympie Hospital at 3.23pm. Upon examination on arrival in the emergency department of Gympie Hospital, she had a Glasgow Coma score of 3 with bilaterally dilated pupils with little response to light. Bruising was noted around the eyes and on the forehead, with no visible wound on the scalp. She had a heart rate of 102 beats per minute on the ECG. Initially, she was thought to have a tricylic antidepressant overdose, but discussion with the toxicologist suggested that with such a low Glasgow coma score, from tricyclic antidepressant overdose alone, there would also be cardiac toxicity, which she did not have. It was therefore felt that she may also have an intracranial injury or overdose from another substance. Due to a lack of CT scanning facilities in Gympie Hospital, she was transferred to Gold Coast University Hospital for further treatment. She was subsequently transferred by care flight to the Gold Coast University Hospital.
0: The following is from the history of the medical records from the Gold Coast University Hospital. Kira Lee was admitted to the Gold Coast University Hospital by care flight helicopter, arriving at 11.03 hours on the 17th of the 7th, 2014. She had a history of a possible antidepressant overdose and a head injury. Examination on admission showed her to have bilateral, periorbital bruising with no wounds seen on the scalp. Her pupils were fixed and dilated bilaterally with no corneal reflex. The following is a summary of that report. As you will hear, there are some massive contradictions between what medical experts and emergency services workers were told and what the doctor performing the autopsy found.
1: Kira's autopsy is complicated and full of medical jargon. Jamie and I have done our best to simplify it and try and piece the puzzle together for you. This is what we've come up with. Kira's autopsy revealed severe brain damage due to a lack of oxygen and blood flow. The left side of her brain was much more swollen than the right. This caused the midline of her brain to shift to the right. And as a result of the brain swelling, there was raised intracranial pressure. This was noted as the direct cause of her death. There was also other evidence of head injuries. This included widespread soft tissue bruising, small subdural hematomas or hemorrhages around the brain, and minor basal frontal contusions. But, this is where it gets complicated. The events leading to the severe brain trauma are not certain, and they're not documented. At least not well. So the time the head injuries occurred is far from certain. Gimby Hospital notes indicate 3am as the time of the injury. The degree of impairment after she received the head injuries is also poorly documented. Gimby Hospital notes indicate she was able to walk around and was not vomiting. We also have witness evidence that backs this up the time at which she allegedly took a large amount of antidepressant medication is not clear again gimpy hospital notes indicate this occurred at 1am however this cannot be accurate if she is said to have taken them after the head injury which apparently occurred at 3am her appearance after taking the tablets is also not documented the time she went to bed is not documented and in addition, there is a long period between when she went to bed and when she was found unconscious, possibly up to 10 hours, during which there is no description of what was happening with her. Toxicology analysis of blood samples collected at Gympie Hospital detected only therapeutic levels of antidepressant drugs. Although it was alleged that she took a large amount of antidepressant medication, this was told both to emergency service workers and to hospital staff. It's also important to note that survival is well documented following much larger overdoses of antidepressant medication. And there is also none of the usual toxic side effects seen of an overdose of this particular medication. This might include changes to the ECG, abnormal heart rate rhythms, impaired body temperature regulation and muscle rigidity. Therefore, it is unlikely Kira suffered an overdose leading to a death. The blood samples were collected at Gympie Hospital at around 3.55pm On the 17th of July 2014. No alcohol was detected in the collected blood samples. This was despite an account being given of Kira drinking alcohol the evening of the 16th of July 2014. The time of alcohol consumption and amount is not noted.
0: So, as you can hear, there are a number of discrepancies. It's clear from the autopsy report that Kira died from a head trauma, not a drug overdose. The question now turns to how she sustained that injury. Remember back to the start of the Form 1. Well, there is one line we left out. It reads, There was an alleged physical altercation between the deceased and another woman, who allegedly struck her, causing her to fall to the ground a number of times. Alison describes her knowledge of Kira and Jason's relationship, including a time where she had to call the police.
3: That was the 21st of February 2014, and... Um, I was at home on the internet and I got a message from her and all it said was, call the police. So I called the police and they said, what's the problem? I said, I don't know, but if she sends me an email saying call the police, you need to get yourselves out there. You know, this is not something she would do at the drop of a hat. So they said, oh, is there a history, blah, blah, blah. And, um, yeah, so they went out and... From what I gathered, they arrested him and he was taken to jail.
0: Yeah, not what? What he did, or what was alleged, or um, you know.
3: well, he, she told me that he punched her in the jaw while she was driving the car. Um, and then her excuse was, oh, but he'd taken a box of Rohypnol, so he, you know, wasn't really his fault. Mm-hmm. Mm. She was always making excuses for him. Mm. But no, she she was isolated from all her friends. They all got pushed away.
1: Mm. When did it all start going south with it and Kira? Was there a point?
3: Don't know.
1: Was it, um, I guess, was it... Inherent in their relationship from the start, that they sort of... Not from the
3: very start. The profile, At the very start, you know, he was everything she'd always wanted. Right. Um, but, yes, soon things started to go awry, but obviously she wasn't telling me, so I, you know, so for her not to tell me what was going on, the only reason I can think of that she wouldn't have told me is if he had threatened Otherwise, she would have told me.
0: What about his physical appearance? How would you describe what did he? What did he look like?
3: Not a big person. Um, probably little man syndrome. Covered in gang tattoos, not proper tattoos, but things that had obviously been dug in with whatever. Um, shaved head with the rat's tail down the back. Um, looked like the scum of the earth, and that's exactly what it was. Mm-hmm.
0: Because you mentioned that the, the kids had that.
3: The two older boys who were six and eight... Um, Kira's older boys. Yeah. Um, Kira used to shave their heads because it was just easier, mm. and they all wanted to grow the rat's tail. So whenever I saw them, I told them I would come in when they were asleep and cut it off because it was disgusting and I didn't think that was someone we wanted to emulate. Mm. So uh, in the end, we cut off the rat's tails. Mm. But I referred to it as the animal long before it killed her.
0: Mm.
3: You know, even the boys knew that. So, and and they would talk about the animal.
0: The kids would?
3: Yeah because that's what I called it. Now that there were other incidents, there was a time when she was trying to get away from him in such a hurry that she drove the car through the fence instead of opening it um, and drove up to the neighbour's house, um, who has also moved away, but he was a big guy and she went up to his house um, to be safe. So I know there were other incidents that I wasn't made aware of, like the comment from the neighbour two doors down the road he was on their property one time and the neighbour said to him oh did you hit her again and he said oh she was all up in my face again and that was the thing about Kira she wouldn't just lie down quietly and take that kind of crap. you know she would have been
0: so did he make a habit of going to a neighbour's house to hide out after an incident,
3: did he? Yeah, when the police came or social services came or whatever, because child services were called, um, yeah, he would go and hide on neighbour's
0: property. Alison isn't from here. She's from New South Wales. She moved here after Kira's death to be close to the kids. Alison describes how she found this house. And how she feels Kira's presence here. I was
3: half an hour from signing a contract on a different house that was half the size and twice the price. Yeah. And I get this phone call from my neighbour. You've got to ring up about this house. Yeah. So I come round, and I mean, the kids have got a bedroom each. Mm. That's that's insane. Mm. And an art I've got an art room, and they've got a playroom, and you know, it's it's. I swear she found this place for us yeah you know?
1: that's, that's what I was about to say yeah.
3: you know she she does she takes care of me because I take I take my promises seriously that I made to her and I think she sees that and she sees mm. that I'm trying to do my best
1: yeah.
3: mm. so she There's
1: something in that, isn't
3: there? gives me a little bit mm. of help every now and again yeah. even as an atheist I can't deny that She's somewhere. I don't know where she is, but she's somewhere around. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, that gives me some comfort.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I bet. I bet it does.
3: I didn't feel it as much until I got to this house. But this house, she's here. She's just...
0: hmm.
3: She's just here.
0: Yeah.
3: The day the kids went back to school... I had a family of kangaroos. There was the mum, the dad and the baby and then there was an older baby and it was like the older baby was that had just gone off to high school and, you know, the younger one was... It it was just... And it was also the anniversary of her death. I saw the same family of kangaroos on the property. Um, Like, just too many freaky things Mm. have happened to go, oh, no, that's all coincidence. Yeah, Yeah, sure. So um yeah, she she definitely kinda comes to me in animal form or sends me animals or does something.
0: Hmm. What have the last five years been like for you, Alison?
3: Hell. Hmm. Um feeling like nobody gave a damn about her and knowing that something just wasn't kosher. You know, there's there's just too many things that don't add up. And if it wasn't for her children, I would have been dead four and a half years ago. But they give me a reason to keep going. So it's kind of my second chance. I see it as my second chance to get it right and not fail them.
0: Mm-hmm. So they're your reason for living.
3: Oh, no doubt. No doubt.
0: We will leave you with Alison's final message, her promise to Kira.
3: When I spent time with Kira at the hospital, um, they always taught us when we were nursing that hearing was the last thing to go. So I spoke to her and I promised her two things. I promised her that her children would be taken care of as if they were on my own. And I promised her that I would get justice for the bastard that did this to her. And that's what I plan on doing for the rest of my life. And I've already told my sister that if anything happens to me, she's got to continue the fight until it's done.
0: And do you fear for
3: your life? Oh, yeah but it's got to be done. You know, she, she wasn't worth nothing. No. And I won't allow the world to not know who she was. No. You know, she...
0: Like I said, she was too
3: bright a star no. to be stuffed, snuffed
0: out the way she was. Bean and Bally Road is a 610 Media production. The audio was collated and recorded by me. The script was written by Tom Dorn. This episode was mixed and mastered by Johnny Powell. Our theme song, Peace of Heaven, is by Pete Allen Music. You can find him in Apple Music, SoundCloud, other streaming services and social media. Our cover art photo was taken by Joel Paltz. And a shout out to our wives, Renee and Kylie, for all your support in this project. And if you haven't already, guys, please subscribe, rate and review Bean and Valley Road. You can see pictures and keep up to date with our Facebook and Instagram pages. Just search Bean and Valley Road. Thanks again, guys.
2: I asked him one morning when he lived with me and I walked out and he was on the veranda at like six o'clock in the morning and he looked like he had tears in his eyes and I was like, oh, what's wrong with you? And he said, you are screaming in your sleep again, you're scared me, and you woke her up. And I said, yeah, and then he started crying and he said, how often do you scream like that? And I said, I don't know because I'm going to sleep probably a few times a week I said I don't know how you live with yourself but I can't not know if I did that and then I said to him if you did something can you please just tell me so that I can sleep and I'll go to the cop station today and I'll tell them that I did it I don't care I just need to be able to sleep and live with myself and he said you didn't do it and I said how do you know I didn't do it and then he just went off at me. And he said, "Oh, now you're trying to say that I murdered her?" Rah, rah. And I'm like, "I didn't say that. You just can't say I didn't do it, and give me nothing to base it on. I need, you know, you need to tell me why you would think that."
0: That's next time on Beanham Valley Road.